Thank you, Jay. Let's look to God in prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for this another opportunity to look into your word. And we pray that your spirit would speak to us as we look at what Jesus taught and his experience with the disciples in Caesarea Philippi. We pray that we would be sensitive to the voice of your spirit among us as we share together around your word. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Just a word to the visitors uh, in the back of the bulletin or in your, inside the bulletin. There are message notes and you may want to fill in the blanks. The answers will be on, on the overhead as uh, I share the, the sermon. It was Jesus who walked the 25 miles from the Sea of Galilee to the north to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. And we are not told specifically why he spent that time, that energy with his disciples walking that distance of 25 miles to that particular area. But probably one of the reasons is that Jesus wanted to take his disciples on a retreat away from the areas of ministry around the Sea of Galilee to withdraw and invite them to reflect on the questions that he asked them at that time. The question that he hurled at them and that confronts each of us is, who do you say that I am? Back in 1999, when Ann and I had the opportunity to be in Israel, our continuing education group also traveled to this area, to Caesarea Philippi. And there, in a very lush and a beautiful spot, we also experienced the clear crystal water bubbling up out of the spring that is the start of the Jordan River. And I had a water bottle, like I carry with me many times, and I found a water bottle and filled it with water from the Jordan, which I have used in baptisms uh, since that time, and I just have a little bit left from 1999 of water from the Jordan. And after a meaningful worship time, a wonderful time of worship within the grove of trees, we had the opportunity then to explore the area. But this is also the area of Pan's Cave. And some horrible things happened at Pan's Cave where persons came to worship the deities. It was a pagan worship site there in the side of the mountain where the gods and the deities were worshipped and in fact some human sacrifices were made right there at that location at Pan's Cave. Now the town of Caesarea Philippi was a great center of worldly power. And it was not only, I would suggest, that it was not only that Jesus wanted to have his disciples away from the area of ministry, but that he brought them to this place. He certainly came to this place knowing that this was a place that other gods were worshipped. This was also the place where the people of Israel had the opportunity to meet the Gentiles. It was in this setting 
that Jesus asked this question to all the disciples. This setting of worldly power and allegiance, this setting where pagan gods were worshipped, that Jesus confronts the disciples with the question, now in the midst of all these other gods, who am I to you? Who do you say that I am? And it was in this setting, in the midst of the pagan gods, where other gods were worshipped, that Jesus established his church. And Jesus said, on Peter, I will build my church. Jesus started his church in the midst of the confrontation of the powers of the enemy. Jesus, the head, is building his church on Peter the rock. The forces of evil will not overcome the church, the called out people of God, the called out people of God from in the, the worship of other gods. But now Jesus is asking the first test question. The first question that Jesus asked was, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Against the background of the world's other religions, against this background, Jesus is asking, what are people saying? Who do people say that I am? And so the disciples responded with some of the answers that they have heard. Some of the prophets from the Old Testament, some like Elijah or John the Baptist or, or Elijah whose return was promised or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And in each of these, Jesus is considered from the past one of the prophets, one of the great persons of the past. That is not a sufficient view of Jesus, not a sufficient view of Christ. Jesus was a unique and a new person. He was establishing a new kingdom. He is not just one of the other prophets in the Old Testament. And so now the important question that Jesus confronts them is, who do you say that I am? So Jesus is asking, as you see the work and as you see the other gods, as you see what has happened in this place, as you see the idols who would steal your heart from me, who am I? What do you confess? And so Peter blurts out, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is more than a prophet. Jesus is more than a Jeremiah. Jesus is more than Elijah, the one who is to come. Jesus is the one with authority, the one that we looked at in the, when we had the series of sermons on the visions, that Jesus is the one whom all nations and all kingdoms, all kings of the earth will bow before this King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one. He is more than just the prophet from the Old Testament. Jesus is the one with ultimate authority that all the kings of the earth and all the leaders of the nations will worship and bow down to. 
we recognize uh, as we look and read in the New Testament the life and the experience of Peter that many times, and Peter was the extrovert, he was the outspoken one, he was the leader of the disciples, and so Peter many times gets it wrong. He just, it seems to me as I read about Peter, he just blurts out what first comes into his mind. But here, Peter gets it right. Peter did not miss the mark on this one. And Jesus then gives him this affirmation in verses 17 to 19, and I have these on the screen. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now I want to, at this point, I want to emphasize three truths, three important aspects, three truths from these verses. First of all, Peter makes one of the grandest confessions of faith in the New Testament. Peter is the first disciple, as we see in Matthew 10, too, here where, where Matthew lists the names of the, of the 12 apostles uh, in, the, in verse 2. First, first Simon, also called Peter, then Andrew, Peter's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, James's uh, James's brother, and so on. So Peter, Peter is listed first, notice. And so Peter, by this confession, is the chief apostle and represents all the disciples upon which the church is built. And in this passage, Jesus is the role of builder and the church is built on Peter, the lead apostle. In Luke 22, after Peter messed up and, and denied Christ, Peter then is assured by Jesus, of, uh, assures Peter that he will pray for him and then gives him the role of leader and encourager, where Luke says, or Jesus is saying, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, and turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. It's also interesting to note that Paul, when Paul lists the apostles and the, those whom Jesus appeared to in Paul's writings, that Paul lists Peter first in the list of the persons that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. And after it was after Paul's conversion, and after Paul was called to also be a worker of God, and he had committed his life to Christ, and his name was changed from Saul to Paul, that he sought out Peter. In Galatians 1.18, he reports, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. 
Now, some scholars, in reaction to the Catholic Church teaching that Peter is the first of the popes, claimed that Jesus was referring to, to Peter's confession and what Peter said. But today, there are many scholars who agree that Jesus was referring to the fact, to, was referring to Peter himself, that the church it was built on Peter, the person. In Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, Jesus is listed as the cornerstone and the apostles and the prophets, the rest of the foundation of the church. And Peter says that we are living stones in his, in his writings in, in 1 Peter 2, that we are living stones being built into, into God's house. Now, the second truth is that Peter's conviction or Peter's understanding did not come strictly from Peter, but came from God. And that's what Jesus tells him. And certainly Peter had walked with Jesus these three years. And Peter had a grasp of what Jesus was doing. But Jesus is saying that this experience of knowing who Jesus is, knowing that Jesus is the Messiah, that that revelation came from God. God had a hand in his understanding, and God helped him to understand and to be open to receive this new understanding that Jesus was more than just a prophet from the Old Testament, that Jesus was inaugurating a new kingdom. And then thirdly, Jesus says, I, the third truth, I will build my church. This is the first time in the New Testament, this is the first time word, the word ecclesia, the word for church, is used. This word was not a religious word, but was used in Greek times as an assembly of citizens who were regularly called together, summoned together. And so Jesus is using this word to, uh, to refer to the church that these are the people who are called out. These are the people who gather together. And notice that the church in the New Testament, the church is not a building. The church is people. And unfortunately, in our English language, and I say unfortunately because we refer to this, this as the building, these Petersburg Mennonite church, but perhaps in a more New Testament thing, sense, or more, New, more Anabaptist sense, we should refer to this as the meeting house or the meeting place of the East Petersburg Mennonite Church. The church is the people as we gather together each Sunday and then are sent out into ministry. This just happens to be the meeting place, which in the English language we also refer to as the church but the church of the New Testament is the people, the called out people of God. Notice that Jesus says, I will build my church, that it is Christ's church. It's not any one member's church. It is the church of Jesus Christ. Therefore, in all our diversity, in all our things that we work through, 
and that we have worked through, that I would suggest that we need to hold our opinions lightly and help them be molded and shaped by the other people in the body of Christ, by the other members of the church. It is Christ's church. We need to hold our opinions loosely. We also, we need to allow our views to be shaped and molded by the gathered church, to be shaped and molded by the gathered church. And Jesus is at work building his church around the world. And I just wanted to, I don't want to bore you, but I did want to share, you some, share with you some statistics of what is happening both in the local scene, local I mean the national scene, Mennonite Church USA, and also the church around the world. First around the world, the Atlas of Global Christianity says that a number of trends from 1910 to 2010 can be observed. First, quote, the greatest Christian gains proportionally have been in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. These three continents, Asia, Africa, and Latin America, represent 61% of all the Christians are found in those three continents. 15% are Asian, 22% are African, and 24% are Latin American. The strongest growth proportionally for any continent over the past from 100 years is found, can you guess which continent? It's the continent of Africa. While 9%, get it, 9% of all Africans were Christians in 1910, 48% of all Africans are Christians in 2010. The fastest growing Christian populations are in what we call the global south, in these continents. And of the 10 countries with fastest growing Christian populations since 1910, six are in Africa and four are in Asia. In North America, 97% of the people were Christian in 1910, compared to 81% today. 97 down to 81% today, end of quote. Now, the Mennonite Church did a congregational survey, a congregational profile back in 2006, and it revealed some very sobering trends. In Mennonite Church USA, only 2% are new believers. The average age of members was 54 years old, up from 49 in 1989. One third of Mennonites had never invited someone to church, up from 16% in 1972. Now, one bright spot in the statistics of our denomination is how God is at work in the racial ethnic congregations. Of the six congregations in the denomination that have a 1,000 members or more, three of the six are racial ethnic, two in Chicago and one in Hampton, Virginia. 
Another bright spot is that Lancaster Mennonite Conference has been very effective in planting new congregations. Conrad Kanegi reports in his book, quote, since 1933, mission teams from LMC have worked in six continents and established more than 20 groups of churches in 15 nations. Some of these churches, Conrad reports, are now much larger than Lancaster Mennonite Conference in the United States, end of quote. And at one point, I feel he sums up the matter when he says, based on the data that are emerging, it is quite likely that churches of Asia, Africa, and Latin America will have the last word in terms of what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century, end of quote. They will have the last word, not the North Americans. They are the ones that experienced phenomenal growth as the winds of the spirit, as Conrad Kanegi titles his book, and others. There are two other authors, including Richard Showalter, the former president of uh, EMM. I may have shared previously about the time that Anna and I were in Costa Rica in 2006. One Sunday morning, our host mother, who was also a Pentecostal minister, took us for a drive two hours north from San Jose, Costa Rica, to the town of Pital, and to visit a Pentecostal congregation there. And as we met the pastor, here was a man who, who radiated with his eyes, his intense brown eyes, the, the love of Jesus, and I will never forget that experience of being there, in sitting there in the, outside the, in his home, which was also attached to, to the church. And while the chickens and the, the roosters were walking around uh, in, in and out the, the door, we had the opportunity for fellowship, and he had the opportunity to share what they were doing there. This community, as they ministered to this church, as they ministered to Nicaraguans who had come to Costa Rica, and they, they were hungry, and with obvious delight, obvious delight and satisfaction, he showed me and showed our group the, the, uh, um, the addition that they were building to the church to provide a kitchen so that they could, could continue to feed the, the population, continue to feed the Nicaraguans who had come into the area. And then as the people came to eat, they also heard the word of God as they came to the church. Jesus is building his church through the, throughout the world. Also, Jesus is building the church here as the body of Christ, here as the church known as the East Petersburg Mennonite Church. As you've heard and are aware, we are continuing to reach out to our local community that God has put a, put a burden upon us. And I would ask some questions as how is God asking us to reach out to our community? Is it by providing a space or an opportunity for young people to hang out? Is it by starting a daycare for, for children whose working parents need someone to care for their children? Or what are the dreams? What are the dreams you have 
for this congregation? What are, the, what are the dreams that the Spirit is speaking to you about that you need to talk to Pastor Jeff or myself uh, or Chelsea about how God is asking, is suggesting by the impressions that the Spirit puts in your mind? Don't just keep them to yourselves. Jesus says, Jesus says, I will build my church. In these times, in this day, we do not need to fear, along with uh, the children's story that Angela told uh, in the worry and fear, we don't need to fear the future. We don't need to fear what will happen to God's church because the church is in the trustworthy hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I will build my church and this congregation is part of the body of Christ. Amen. May it be so. We'll share it in the closing song.